been an encouraging week working with uh, children. Gone fishing, I don't know a more appropriate theme. Right in between VBS on one week and looking forward, everybody you saw standing right here is getting ready to go fishing for men in Brazil, Montana, and other places. I heard on NPR a couple days ago that Americans are angrier than ever before. Do you believe that? They did a poll. They asked adults if how they feel compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And a lot of people are saying they're not feeling very good and they get really angry, angry when they watch the media, etc. And I'm telling you, the spirit is moving. There's a lot of good things happening. The call is still going out. People are still following Jesus and you can be part of it. We're asking the question this morning, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Gone fishing forsaking all to follow. The children memorized this verse from Matthew 4, 19 to 20. Then he said to them, follow me. And if you distill discipleship down to one idea or two words, it is follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to follow him. He says, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Oh, there was a cost in the beginning. They left something that they loved to follow Jesus But as time went on, what it means to follow Jesus, they begin to understand more and more. If you would ask what it means to follow Jesus in the beginning, and you would ask what it means to follow Jesus three and a half years later, they would give you a more in-depth answer. Because the word follow means a journey. It means we're going someplace. And it's the road that each one of us needs to travel today. I assure you, God needs us right here in this room He needs people in the world today just as much as 2,000 years ago, people who will leave it behind and follow him. What does it mean to follow? Discipleship. Now, my son and I, we have different definitions of discipleship. My son thinks it means that I follow him, and I think it means that he follows me. And that creates a little bit of tension in the home from time to time. But uh, it's a good thing I don't follow him because if I did, his mother would be a widow because the more cars are on the road, the more exciting the road is. And so maybe the natural uh, capacity of the heart isn't so easily weaned off in childhood. Is it easy to follow? And is it easy to follow Jesus? We're all following something. We follow our own hearts. Many in the time of Jesus followed others, but it was wrong. Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind. But we're specifically talking for a few minutes this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, there were many who followed Jesus. There were crowds. For the first couple years of Jesus' ministry, it was popular to be with him, to call upon his name. People wanted what Jesus had to offer. He was a beautiful savior and a healer. It says in Matthew 4, verse 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And that idea of great multitudes following him continues throughout Matthew until the end. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. They wanted Jesus. They were with him. But the road would get narrower and narrower. Still in chapter 12, 15, Verse 15, there's still many following him. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. They wanted to be with Jesus. And in Matthew 19 and verse 2, great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. 
They loved Jesus. They wanted to be with him. But something strange happened. There was a hinge moment about six months before the end of Jesus' ministry when he was preaching and it began to, they began to understand what it really meant to follow Jesus. The doctrine was hard, it said in John 6, verse 60. It was hard to understand. They had their questions. They were pressing them. Jesus didn't answer all their questions. He didn't give them everything. He gave them enough to have faith. He gave them enough to know. But he didn't satisfy everything they asked. And it said in verse 66 of John 6, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The road would continue to get narrower and narrower. The last months of Jesus' ministry, fewer and fewer would follow him until it would be very, very narrow. Now in the next chapter, John 7, verse 13, John begins to use this phrase, which he used a number of times throughout his gospel. A reason why more and more were falling off from following Jesus. Chapter 7 and verse 13. It says, however, no one spoke of him openly for fear of the Jews. The social pressure was mounting, the intimidation. Yes, there were many who believed, but they were shamed into silence. They were retreating into the corners. They dared not admit that they were following Jesus. As the movement was reaching the tipping point here, there was two movements in collision. They dared not question those who were trained and those who were studied, the elite, the untouchables. People bowed to their thinking. Jesus didn't. Jesus never conformed to their agenda. He did not belong to their class. His teachings exposed their facade, and the clash became stronger and stronger. Chapter 9, verse 22, the ruling class was there. Jesus had just healed. There was not a lack of evidence, but there was a lack of will and desire. The cross was emerging. This man who was healed, his, his eyesight had been given to him. Jesus healed his eyes. He knew who healed him, but his parents couldn't figure it out, or at least they were ashamed to say so. And in chapter 9, verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. They, and back in chapter 7, they asked, well, where was, where, how can he read? Where did he learn letters? They despised where Jesus was born. They despised his family. They despised his accent, and they despised his lack of education. He wasn't welcome to the table, and he wasn't part of their circle. They colluded, they'd agreed, Jesus didn't belong to them and he wasn't welcome. The multitude was caught in the middle, which way would they go? They dared not challenge the ruling class, those that had influence and the thought leaders. John 12 verse 42 <clears throat> said, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. The cross was becoming more difficult to bear. The road was becoming narrower to walk. 
In John 19, verse 38, it's the story of one of these. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. He believed in Jesus. After this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Eventually, they would be forced to come out into the open. Now, the, the Pharisees believed for a time that they had succeeded in squashing what they considered to be competition. They were jealous of the attention Jesus got. They felt rivalry. And they believed they succeeded in diminishing or squashing his influence. They did everything they could to undo his words. Because those who believed him were retreating into the corners. That was the atmosphere of the moment. Of course, as I'm telling this story, may we think deeply enough to see that it's not the story only of their time, but of our time also. That we might be able to look into it and understand where we fit into the story to count the cost of whether we're willing to follow Jesus. But eventually, the movement to cover it up and to back him into the corner eventually didn't go so well. And those that were believing secretly in their hearts began to stand forth and to speak up. Finally, Joseph of Arimathea was one who offered assistance to Jesus in this time. All the disciples suffered. Jesus told him, this night you will, the, the, the shepherd will strike, the sheep will be scattered, and you will be offended because of me. Mark 14 verse 50 says, then all forsook him and fled. From that time forward, if you would have asked the disciples, what does it mean to follow Jesus? They would have had a bit of a deeper answer than if you had asked them before that night. No matter how long you've been with Jesus, the road continues, the definition deepens, the understanding becomes stronger and stronger of what it means to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of him. Well, after they forsook him and fled, they had to start over again. I'm so glad Jesus came back to give a second chance for them and for us. The disciples, Peter must have wondered, is Jesus going to accept me? Will he take me back? The relationship was shattered and dashed. Peter denied Jesus. He cursed him. Jesus saw it. It broke the heart of Jesus. But there they are having breakfast. Same scenario all again. Peter had fished all night, nothing all night, pulling up the nets, nothing, throwing them back in, pulling up, nothing, just like years before. Sun's coming up, they're hungry, breakfast. Jesus said, children, do you have any food? Peter comes to shore. Of course, at first Jesus said, cast it on the other side. And they pull their nets Count the fish, 153, and some large ones too. They come there. Jesus wants to talk to Peter. The conversation, he's waiting for the right time during breakfast. And eventually he looks at Peter. Peter's been looking at the boats and the next, looking back at Jesus, but not too much eye contact. Jesus says, Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? This is the real question for whether you're going to be able to follow me. The love for Jesus has to be above the nets, above the 153 fish, and above the boats, and above the family and everything else. It has to be on the altar, whatever it is. Whatever it is in your life, Jesus says, that's the cross you carry to follow me. 
So the same conversation repeats, similar to the conversation from years before, except this time with much deeper understanding. The same words which you've heard your whole life, but don't let them just become liturgy or a repetition of scripture, what you've memorized, because Jesus is going to say the same thing he said three years before, but now it has new meaning. The same words you've heard before, but now they have life. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Peter's not boasting this time. He wants, he's humble. He wants Jesus to search his own heart. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants help. But Jesus is going to be unmistakably clear this time about the cost. In John 21, I don't have this verse on the screen. And in verse 18, Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, he's speaking directly to Peter, the one we've been talking about all week. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And now those words, follow me, have a new meaning. Jesus bids a man, follow me. He bids him come and die. Peter wasn't the only apostle that would pay the price that Jesus paid. The apostles laid their lives down as they took the gospel to the world one after another. It wasn't what what Peter wished. The desire you have and the wish you have in your dreams, it goes on the altar. It said there, right there at the end of verse 18, you are going to go where you do not wish. To be a disciple, you have to go where you do not wish. If your desires are in charge, and if you're keeping your wishes on the throne, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Those have to be submitted, words we don't like today, surrendered to Jesus. Forsake all to follow him cost of discipleship. It wasn't soon forgotten in the centuries of the early church. The church was, was planted with blood. People laid down their lives when they confessed Jesus. There was a cost and it was unmistakable. Ask the church in the wilderness what it cost to follow Jesus and to confess him. To translate the Bible, to stand for their faith. They were hated and they were hunted. You really had to hate them and not hate them, to go up into these mountains to find them. This is a picture Pastor Dennis just took last week or a couple weeks ago from the Waldensian Mountains. You can find out more of their stories at the Vespers tonight. That church knew what what it cost. You ask the church in different ages, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Perhaps you'll get different answers. Be careful who you ask. Of course, we live in a land of plenty. This nation was, was, was founded on Christian principles. People have come here from all over the world seeking freedom, which gave the church of God room to grow and to prosper <clears throat> and to become popular. It's popular to be, to be a Christian today and to name the name of Jesus. But it's no different than back then. Oh, they would hide behind the label, we are Moses' disciple. They didn't do the things he said. But oh, they love the name of Moses. Today, in the, if you line up the history of the church, the definition of what does it mean to follow Jesus, 
The definition's broader than it's ever been. The bar's lower than it's ever been. It's more popular than it's ever been. But Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say when the requirement is obedience? Peter didn't start with confessing Jesus. He started with obeying Jesus. Peter confessed Jesus later, but the first thing he did was to leave his nets and to follow. When Jesus says, go, you go. He hasn't left us without the commands today. The last time Jesus told Peter to follow me, right there in John 21, it was right before Jesus was preparing to ascend back to heaven. Following Jesus when Jesus is not walking on this earth anymore means just as much now as it did then. It means just as much to follow Jesus today in 2019 as it did 2,000 years ago when they were having breakfast and eating fish with Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. He would ascend to heaven, but he's left his footprints here. He needs disciples today just as much that would follow him. I don't think the Seventh-day Adventist church has necessarily escaped the culture, the context into which we're born, to which we do ministry today. Oh yes, 160 plus years later down in our movement, where are we with the definition of what it means to follow Christ? What does it mean in our heart? And should we check ourselves from the stories of the Bible to see how far we are from it? Ellen White wasn't wrong in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 78, the quotes in your bulletin. It will require courage and independence to rise above the religious standard of the Christian world. They do not follow the Savior's example of self-denial. They make no sacrifice. They are constantly seeking to evade the cross, which Christ declares to be the token of discipleship. That's the natural desire. You get into the church, and you find every way to evade the cross. But people all around are answering the call to follow Jesus, giving their evenings, giving their summers, giving their vacations, to serve, to be a part and to follow. There's going to be a group that's going to follow Jesus just as much as he's always had. This is what he said to the disciples. If anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. If you haven't denied yourself lately, you might want to think twice because this verse has the word daily in it. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't lean on the sacrifice you made last year or the year before. The experience with Jesus must go forward each day and each year to deny yourself and your wishes and to follow Jesus. And for this reason, Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14 was a definition correction. A lot of people have been with him. Jesus was putting out the corrections to what they thought it meant to follow him. And he gave the warning, don't fool yourself into thinking you're following me unless you are willing to forsake all to follow me. What does that mean, to forsake all to follow Jesus? Ask those that have gone before us. Ask Abraham, who left his father's country, left Ur of the Chaldees, his father's family, everything he loved, everything he knew, not knowing where he was going. Gone. Left behind. Ask Isaac. What does it mean to follow? He willingly offered his life 
as a young man upon the altar of sacrifice with nothing to look at except his father's knife, saved by the lamb in the thicket. What does it mean to follow? Ask Joseph, when in the moment of temptation, moment of trial and test, stood firm, would not yield an inch of his integrity, was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and unjustly put in prison for two years. Ask him what it cost, what he left. Ask Moses what he left. The riches of Egypt, Pharaoh's palace, gave up Egyptian inheritance, power, and prestige, left it all behind to suffer reproach with the people of God headed to the promised land. Ask Lot. He left Sodom on that fateful night. Lot lingered too long, almost too long, leaving his house behind, his friends, his wealth, even his wife, whose heart stayed in Sodom, and so did her eyes. The entertainment, the lifestyle left behind. What does it cost to follow? Ask David. He was a wealthy man. He was a rich man, as was Abraham. He had it all, at least at one point in his life. He, he was running when he was young. But even when he had it all, he had to surrender it still. His lifelong dream, it comes up again and again in the Old Testament, to build a temple. God said, no, leave that to your son. He left his dream behind. Elijah left his home. He lived in exile along the brook Cherith. Ask Elisha what, what he left. The plow, the oxen, everything else connected with his father's farm. Ask Jeremiah. He surrendered his rights to marry a wife and have children. He lost his freedom. He was thrown into a pit. He was dragged to, he went with the people of God to Egypt. Ask Nehemiah. He left the court of Artaxerxes. He left his position as the king's, king's cupbearer. Ask John the Baptist, he lost his head. Ask the apostles who shed their blood as well. Ask Jesus who left everything he had in heaven. What have you left to follow? Perhaps when we hear their stories, they'll want to hear our stories. Perhaps there's a cross to carry today too. Perhaps we need to look a little deeper into our own, in our own lives to give all to Christ so that we are ready to follow him unto the end, no matter what happens. The last promise I read from Scripture is from the last book of the Bible. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. You know, in this book, the camera keeps going up to heaven and back down to earth and back up to heaven, showing what's happening in both places. Revelation shows the connection between heaven and earth. But here, the camera's on earth with these people that have a connection to heaven. And no matter how difficult it's gone, and no matter how much the heat has turned up, the, the chapter before said, the world follows the beast. The movement, when everybody out of fear is following the Jews, although this time it won't be the Jews, but the elite and the ruling class, when everybody's falling out, out of fear, again, there's going to be those to stand up. Named as the 144,000, described this way in chapter 14 and verse 4. These are the ones who follow. This is our time context. Follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. You can be one of them if you'd like to and if you choose. Oh yeah, you have to be willing to be plucked and you have to be willing to leave. You have to be willing to go against the current. 
and do something countercultural. You have to be willing to be different and to pay a price. But you can be one of those till the end who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Do you want to be one of them? Today, Jesus is still calling, just as he did back then. As I prepared for this message, I didn't know what to say. Do I really understand what it means to follow Jesus? Do you really understand what it means to follow Jesus? As we continue to follow what we know today, Jesus will continue to lead us on the road. Our understanding now will grow next year. What does it mean to follow Jesus and to give all? Perhaps there's somebody here this morning. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. The invitation is still there. Jesus came into this world to give us a future and to give us hope. He's still giving peace. He's still changing hearts. Ones that are so cracked up and broken and scarred, Jesus heals those too. You look around, you go on some of these trips and you can see people near you and their lives are being changed. Talk differently than they used to. Reprioritizing their life, it can happen to you too. Don't count yourself out. Jesus wants to move into our hearts. He wants to convert us. He wants to make us strong children that can stand for him. And maybe you, maybe you haven't decided to follow Jesus before. But this morning you say, that's the road I want to follow, no matter how narrow it becomes. And Jesus said there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. The world is swarming down the broad road. The narrow road becomes narrower and narrower. Those all along the path is strewn with the luggage of those who decide, I can't go any farther. Once you've decided, I've come this far and it's good enough, you just sealed your own doom. Because when you've gone this far, praise, the God, praise God, he's ready to take you another step to follow him, to continue to follow him. If he's led you this far, you deny how far he's led you if you're willing, not willing to continue to go farther. Follow me. Follow me. And cutting the ties, the ties of this world, the cords of affections. Maybe some good things in your life. There's nothing wrong with nets and boats. Peter had to cut those. Following Jesus means that we make him the number one love of our life. Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Maybe it was the most important question he'd asked Peter ever. He asked many questions because he asked two more times, Peter, Simon, do you love me? As we search our hearts this morning, I invite you to make the decision, whatever you have and all that you are, that you surrender it to God. Willing for both. The picture of the ox, the altar on one side, the yoke on the, on the other. Ready for either, wherever God leads.
As we sing our closing song this morning, I invite you to talk to God, to invite him into your heart where he needs to be. You would reprioritize your life if you need to, to make him paramount. After the closing song, I will have a benediction, and then church will be dismissed from the deacons. I'm going to linger right up here on this front seat. Anybody who'd like to pray, as you're thinking about your own life and your relationship to Jesus, and as you think about that and what it means to be a disciple today, what it means to the people in your family, to the people in your workplace, to the people in your church, to your neighbors, what it means to be a disciple. If anybody wants prayer this morning, I'm choosing to sit up front after the closing song. You can come up. Um, for prayer. Our closing song is hymn 218, When He Cometh. And may the words of this song express the desires of our hearts this morning. Let's stand together.